it's been a lot of fun for me thinking about this message. Because today we're going to look at angels. And I don't think in my entire time here at the dwelling, I don't think I've ever spent a Sunday kind of zeroing in on angels. And I'll be honest with you, there's so much to say about angels that it actually is a little mind-boggling how I'm going to give you a nice, tight, concise message. I'm going to do the best I can. But there's a lot to be said. And you could do a whole series, in my opinion, on just angels. We're going to just take one day. But it's been really fun kind of preparing for this. And uh, so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to read part of the Christmas story that you've heard a million times. But I want you to just kind of notice especially the angels and what the angels might be up to in, in connection with the Christmas story, okay? So here it is, Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now these are like rednecky. Remember when I preached a couple of years ago, Christmas Eve, on uh, uh, Shepherds being like mechanics. Remember that? These are tough dudes. And they're filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who wondered, or who heard it, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, she treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. Let's pray, and then I'm going to try to break this down for us. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would help us. Help us to not miss the point today. Especially help us to not walk away thinking that angels are the point of today's message. Lord, they're part of the story, and we're going to talk about them. What is the purpose of what they really are there for and How do they ultimately glorify you? And how do they draw us into the story? So I just pray that that would happen today. That as we talk about angels, that that you would receive honor and glory and praise. That God, you would um, have us maybe walk out of here today with a fuller understanding of the story. Especially Christmas. and, And with that then, a fuller understanding of our own hearts and in our own lives. Lord, help me today to simply 
bring this message with so many different dynamics and so many different angles. Help me to bring it just clearly to us in a way that honors you. So help me to share only what you have for me to say, not a word more and not a word less than that, Lord. We pray now that you would work mightily. Spirit of the living God, come and fall afresh upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the picture that we get sometimes when we think about angels? What do you, what do you have come up into your mind? What, what comes up in your mind? I have a couple pictures here of some angels that when I googled angels, this is what came up. Okay? I got three pictures here, and these were on the very first page of when I googled angels. I googled angels, and these were the three and three of these pictures came up, which is fascinating. And obviously, if you can pull out your phone and you can Google it right now and you can look, there's a million other pictures, and obviously not all of them are like these little cartoony pictures or something. But uh, there's a lot of pictures that kind of portray angels in a certain way, and I just find that kind of interesting, and I've been kind of thinking about that this week. What do you think about when you think about an angel? What comes into your mind? Because today's message is really trying to do this. Let me tell you what I'm trying to do so that you don't miss it. I want to talk about angels in the way that God's word kind of portrays them so that as we have a better understanding of angels, it might actually bring to us a better understanding of actually who God is. Because I think angels shape or are part of shaping how we think about the Christmas story, but I think they also play a role in shaping the way we think about just who God is in general. Now, I've thought about that thought a while this week, so I'll let you catch up with it. But ultimately, as we talk about angels and try to get a better understanding of, of the angelic world, maybe my hope is that it'll actually help us have a better understanding of who God is. So the, the big point today is not focusing our attention on angels as much as focusing our attention on God. And we're going to kind of get to that by looking at angels, if that makes sense. So I, what I want to do is I just, here's the deal. In our text, this is not the first time that angels even came up. Uh, just earlier in Luke's gospel, the angel Gabriel has already come to a guy named Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus. Uh, so he's, uh, Angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1 has already come to uh, Zechariah, and that same angel, Gabriel, has also come to Mary to tell her that she's going to be pregnant. Uh, an angel has already, by the time that we read the part of the story that we read, in Matthew's gospel, which was last week's focus of our, kind of, our, we focused on this, an angel has appeared to Joseph in a dream. And so already an angel, just in kind of the Christmas story, and angels have already been popping up. And now, of course, we see them here with the shepherds, one angel, and then a multitude of angels that show up to, to, to share with the, the shepherds what they share with the shepherds. And so there's like, in this Christmas story, angels are popping up all over the place. And of course, that's not the first time angels have come up. They've been there all the way through even the Old Testament. You have uh, the, God placing a cherubim, for example, in the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, to, to, to now uh, 
Adam and Eve, you're not going to be able to return to the garden. We're, we're kicking you out of the garden. And an angel is placed there as a guard uh, to, to the Garden of Eden. And so all the way through, angels pop up here and there in different ways. And um, who are these guys? Well, let's just talk about, if you Google angels, you're going to see a million different things. You're going to see a, di- a billion different kind of thoughts, ideas, a lot of different stuff. I'm, I've kind of narrowed my thoughts down to seven little quick thoughts here. I'm going to go through these really fast about um, just some different things about angels that I wanted to share with you, okay? So seven quick things. Seven is, is a magic number. It's a perfect number. I, I don't know. Seven sounded good to me. I kind of put a couple of them together so it wouldn't be eight. So, <laughs> sneak attack. First thing is, and here's the deal. Sometimes I'll put the, the text up here and I'll actually read through the Bible. But sometimes I just have a reference. I'd encourage you to pull out your phone when you see just the reference and snap a picture of that. I'll let you know on that. But so that you can go back and look at some of this a little bit. First thing is that angels are simply messengers. That's kind of how they're talked about. Uh, the Greek word is engelo, uh, which is angel. And then, like, the Hebrew word is malak, which is another word. These are two words for, they're messengers, they're agents, uh, sent out by God, oftentimes to deliver a message. We see that in our text today, right? We see that uh, the, the angel came to say, I bring you good news. Uh, to Mary, Mary, here's what's going to happen. Zechariah, here's what's going to happen. They're oftentimes bringing news of some kind. And so, Ultimately, angels are messengers. They're agents. So that's one little thing. That's one of the seven. So I'm going through these really fast. Another thought is, there's a lot of angels. Just kind of make a mental note of that. There's a bunch of them. Uh, in our text today, we see that there's a multitude that end up showing up, right? Well, what is that number? We don't, we don't know. We don't know how many angels there are. We don't know how many angels there are. The Bible never tells us an exact number or something like that. But we know there's a lot. Revelation chapter 5. I actually have this text up there. Revelation chapter 5, verse, I think it was 13. Nope, verse 11 says this. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, well, what does that mean? You know, myriad could be about, about 10,000. So is that 10,000 times 10,000? If you're looking at that, you're looking at millions of angels. Um, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. I don't know what that number is, but that's a lot, right? That's why my point is there's a lot of angels. I don't know why that's funny to me right now other than Hundreds of thousands of dollars of seminary, and that's my big point. There's a lot of them. (laughs) But there's a ton of angels. That's cool to think about. There's not just like one or two. Seems like there's like millions of them or something like that. There's a lot of angels out there. You think about that? Have you ever thought that? Thought? You know, Jacob's ladder, when Jacob has the dream, I'm talking to kind of some of you that know your Bibles a little bit, because I don't have it referenced or anything, but Jacob has this dream of angels going up and down, up and down the ladder. Yeah. You live your life thinking that there's a bunch of angels out there? How would a bunch of angels out there shape the way you think about your life? I don't even know if you have a thought yet, but... This is kind of what I want us to think a little bit about. Having a ton of angels. Okay. Angels are not to be worshipped. 
This is my third point. Angels don't attract, they don't try to focus on themselves. An example of this is in Romans or Revelation chapter 19. Uh, John, who's getting this revelation, John, the, a disciple of Jesus, in chapter 19, verse 9, uh, he's dealing with, John is dealing with an angel, and um, this, is what the angel, uh, this is what the angel said. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the angel said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. So there must be, I mean, just this is my thinking on this. There must be something about an angel that would draw our attention to want to worship. There's something about them that's got to be, what, amazing. That John bows down, he wants to worship him. And the angel says, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So angels are not to be worshipped. The angel here is attempting to divert the, the focus back to God, right? And so actually in the, the book of Colossians, they were struggling with maybe some angelic worship of what's going on in the, the early church. And there might even today get to be this kind of fascination with angels or demons, right? And we start to kind of get fascinated with the spiritual in such a way as it almost feels sometimes like we're focusing our attention on that. And I just want to point out that this, this angel here is saying, no, 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 don't focus on me. We're going to focus on Jesus. And so even today's message, the focus is not angels, it's God, it's Jesus. He's going to be the one that we ultimately focus our attention on. Some of us get caught up in this a little bit, right? We've, we've, uh, we've been fascinated with some of these things. It's usually, as I've talked to people, it's usually not the majority, but there's a minority of us that can kind of get caught up in this sometimes. And I would just say to be cautious. To be cautious with kind of this like, getting fascinated with um, not only the worship of angels but the desire to see th- i mean ultimately god's got it set up the way he's got it set up right and he's the one to be focused on but ultimately all i'm trying to say there is angels are not to be worshiped and really to not even be the the emphasis of our focus there are bad angels that's my point number four i want to point you to matthew chapter uh, 25 jesus says this Okay, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Jesus himself says this. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There are bad angels. That's good to know, I guess, right? I don't know what you're going to take away with that exactly, but in my mind, that, that's, that's a good thing to know. I wonder if demons, I wonder how demons would, if and when there's opportunity for them to interact with us, how would they want to portray themselves? 
I've been thinking about that this past week. If my goal and my aim is to get you to not believe in Jesus and to get you to focus on other things other than God, how would I approach you? What would be my attack plan? It might be different for different people, right? In the East, where there's a fascination with with some of these things and everything spiritual, maybe I would approach you in a certain way. And it seems like in the East especially, like my time in India, everything, there's demons everywhere is how it feels. They're portraying themselves, they're, they're, people are seeing things, and all sorts of things are happening. And I wonder if there's a way in which the, that, that there's an attack against that particular group of people to get their focus away from God. And then I wonder if we don't see a whole lot of stuff because it's an attack to get our focus away from God. I just wonder about some of this. Some of this I'm just thinking out loud. What would be a demon's attack against you? How would they portray themselves to get you to take your focus off of God? Sometimes studying the enemy is maybe a good battle move, right? There are bad angels. Another point is there are, there are angels are spiritual creatures. Angels are spiritual creatures. Let me talk about those two things. I'm putting those two words together. They're created... Psalm 108 talks about that. Um, different parts of Scripture. talks about Colossians 1.16. God has created all things. Um, they're creatures. That's really important to understand. These are not eternal. They've not always been. Only God has always been. Although they're creatures like you and I. They've been created. So if I were to ask you to take like, if I were to ask you to put uh, a bunch of words like heaven, tree, God, angels, um, demons, people, rock. And I were to say, separate those into two categories. A lot of us would separate into what we would call spiritual categories and more like physical material categories. I would suggest to you, probably the better approach would be to say, put everything in a category and God in his own category. You see that? See, that challenges you a little bit because we're super materialistic in our thinking. And we've kind of bought into a lot of the ideas of the West where, where yeah, God, angels, and heaven should be over here, and tree, rock, and man should be over here. And I'm just kind of saying, no, probably the better approach is tree, rock, man, angels, heaven over there, God over here. Angels are creatures, is all I'm trying to say. Now, it's interesting, they're spiritual creatures. They have a different uh, dynamic to them. And, and a great text for this is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Let me take us to there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 is where I'm going to start. And to which of the angels has he ever said, this is to God, has, has it ever been said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they, the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Wow, there's some incredible stuff in there. Hebrews chapter 1 is full of angel kind of language here, and you can go read that yourself. They're spiritual creatures. So they've been created by God, and yet they're spiritual so that if there's an angel standing here, which there very well could be, 
I like to think so. There's an angel standing here. Um, you can't see it. You can't see it. There's, but it doesn't mean it's not created. Now, our culture today would just mock the ever-living snot out of us for saying something like this, okay? I mean, it would just, just be absolute mockery. But that's what the Bible would say, is that there could be an angel standing there that we can't see that has been created by God. It's a spiritual creature. So that's my fifth point. My sixth point is simply this. People are almost always afraid when they see an angel. When an angel shows up in the room with them, people, it always, the Bible kind of goes to lengths to say, and they were afraid. In our text today, they're afraid. Even the shepherds, who are kind of tough guys out in the field chewing tobacco, you know, smoking, whatever. They're, they're some of the tough guys, and they're afraid, very afraid. They're super scared. Why is that? I mean, they're not probably seeing a little baby with little wings. Although now after some of the movies, if I saw that at the middle of the night, I'd probably be freaked out too. But what is it that they're seeing? People are always afraid. I just want you to make a note of that. And then my last point, which I think is one of the more fascinating points, is that angels are able to interact with the material in powerful ways at different times. There can be an interaction between the spiritual and the material. And all I'm doing here is going to throw the references up here, and you can snap a picture and look at these if you want yourself. But notice the angel shows up, and first of all, the shepherds can see the angel. Then they can hear the angel. There's a light shining around them, right? So there's senses stuff taking place right there. On top of this, if you were to go to like Genesis chapter 19, verse 13, two angels are sent to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it. And they make a point to tell Lot, we are here from God to destroy this place. So they're going to, in some way, spiritual creatures interact with the material world to destroy it. Uh, in 2 Kings, one angel is noted as killing 185,000 troops. I don't know exactly how he did it or exactly what that looked like, but there was some kind of interaction between the spiritual and the physical material world. Um, Daniel, when he's in the, the, the Daniel in the lion's den, remember that story? Daniel's in the lion's den, and when the king comes to say, hey, are you okay? He says, yes, an angel was sent to shut the mouths of the lions. Some kind of interaction happened with physical lions. Um, I find this to be fascinating. Uh, and I've, I've thought about this. I don't even get this one. I'm just going to say it because the Bible says it. Last week, Joseph is met by an angel in a dream. I don't get that. That's fascinating to me. It says that an angel actually comes and brings that news to him in a dream. And then my kind of last one here is that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, um, Scripture tells us that we maybe have even 
interacted with angels that have appeared as people. Um, this morning, during our little circle time before service, somebody actually shared a story where they really feel that happened. As I've been talking with people this past week, there's tons of stories out there where people feel like they've interacted in this kind of way. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have actually entertained angels unaware. So have you potentially interacted with an angel in a way that you didn't even know? Sure, maybe, I don't know. Unaware, that's the whole point. So those are my seven kind of points. There's about 74 others you could talk about. Those are the seven I wanted to get to you. So let's talk about this for a second. Angels. What is their purpose in, in this Christmas story? See, I, I wonder if there is an effort, and I actually would say potentially, not, this is a little bit of me saying this, okay? I wonder if there is an effort by the enemy to neuter our idea of angels. To think about them in a lesser degree for a particular purpose that I'm going to share in a second. But I wonder, look at this angel here. Look at this angel that I got. I mean, is this, what, is this the vision? Here's the deal. Nowhere in the Bible is this picture given. Nowhere. It fascinates me. It fascinates me that when I Google angels, 90% of the pictures that I see are shown as uh, an angel that's in the like feminine form. I find that interesting. When I Google demons, 90% of demons are portrayed in the masculine. You know, a shirt off, buff, dude. Angels are almost always portrayed in this kind of feminine, super like, oh, no, no. You know, we even say things like, you know, she sings like an angel. Why, why do angels have to sing beautifully? Like, what do they just sing? Oh, I don't know. Why can't it be that? It's interesting. The pictures we get of angels in the Bible are, are uh, that when they take on a physical form, they're always portrayed as a, a man, which is interesting to me. Now, I'm not saying there's a gender connected with angels here. I'm just saying they, they take that form. They never show up as a female. And... People are always afraid of them. They're always killing people. It seems like they're these warrior-like creatures. Mighty, powerful, like, beings that can literally kill 185,000 soldiers. What if that's an angel? And there might even be different kinds of angels or something. Actually, the Bible seems to kind of sound like that a little bit. Even in our Revelation text, it's kind of emphasized a mighty angel. And Michael is told to be the, like the commander of angels. And there's watchers that are talked about in different parts of the Old Testament. And so maybe there's even different rankings or something. I don't know. I'm not saying all that I know all this. I'm not claiming to know any of that. I'm just getting us to think a little bit about this and why the enemy might want to try to neuter our thinking around angels. Okay, now let me make, some, let me make an adjustment and say this. 
Who are the most powerful people that you can think of ever in all of creation? Like in all of history, I mean. Who's a really powerful person? I think of, when I, when I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking, you know, Alexander the Great or Queen Victoria or Stalin. You know, if you look up different lists, Stalin's going to be one of these most powerful people. Genghis Khan is almost always at the top of the list, right? Julius Caesar, I mean, Alexander, all these, Hitler, all these incredibly like powerful people typically come up into people's minds. Why? What is it that is the common factor and denominator in that? And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, I think the common denominator is that these are people with almost unlimited power, very few like you know, checks and balances, who are able to back up their power with muscle. Right? What if, what if God... What if God actually has millions of angels? Not that he needs them. I, I'm not saying it. But what if that's just the way he's gone about it? What if God has millions of warrior angels where each one of them could take out 185,000 soldiers? What if God has a millions of those at his disposal and just the sight of one of them would freak you out what if God has incredible muscle? And what if it's this God who comes down into the manger? And it's this God who places himself and he says, the angel says, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What if that's the tension that we are kind of called to have in our minds? And the very fact angels are part of the story, what if that's to draw us into this idea that God, what if God is incredibly powerful? You know, I have some, I have some pictures of angels that I want us to just consider and think about. Here's a picture uh, that I found. And, I, and again, I didn't just look up angels and then just kind of say, that's good enough. I tried to spend some time in thinking on this actually. The image, I only am going to give you three images. But this image here is an attempt at Ezekiel's, uh, and I'm going to give you these references in a second. Ezekiel describes what he sees of these four creatures, talked about as the cherubim. And they have, they have, and, and I thought this artist, although I don't like the hand, just look at that angel for a second. I thought the artist tried really hard to capture eyes in the wings, eyes all around. That's a, a, a description given. Uh, a head that has the, 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 the face of an ox on one side, eagle on the other. It's, it's this freaky looking thing. I mean, I am not telling you right now that this right here is a chair. This is, this is the picture. We got it. We got the picture. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, this artist, I thought, tried to capture how Ezekiel unpacks what a, like an angel could look like. I thought it was pretty decent. That shows up in my room at 2 a.m., I'm going to poop a brick. I'm just telling you. I mean, these are massive, massive creatures who alone could do incredible things, who 
stand, I don't know if guard or worship or both, at the throne of God. What if you knew that God had these bad boys guarding him or praising him or something like that? Uh, here's another picture of an angel. This one actually isn't my favorite. This is an attempt to, to, to get this idea of wings that you know, cover the eyes. This is more of a, an attempt to describe what's called as the seraphim. In um, Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, the angels that are seen there, these massive creatures, or it's, I use the word massive, I don't know, but it seems and appears like massive creatures that their voice can shake the very threshold of the thrones, a, a temple of God. Um, just incredible beings, incredible creatures. And then my last one, this is just because I think this is just a cool picture. And this is a picture of uh, Michael. Um, I just think that's a cool picture. But what if an angel looks more like that? What if they're the size of a tree or something like that? I don't know. I'm not claiming to know. Exact. All I'm saying is there's probably a better, uh, a better depiction of that in the Bible than it is of a little baby laying on the ground with a little flapping wings. You know what I'm saying? And I just wonder if the enemy actually tries to get us to neuter our thinking around that because almost every night I'm praying, Lord, protect my home with what? I usually say, Lord, protect my home, protect my kids with your angels and your mighty hand. That's a prayer I pray on a regular basis. Now, if I'm praying that prayer and I got a little dweeby angel protecting my kids, I don't want a dweeby angel protecting my kids. I want the most powerful, strong, can kick some tushy, but you know, that's what I want protecting my family. And I just wonder if the enemy tries to get us to miss some of these thinkings. And in the missing of that, we start to think of Jesus as kind of this little, yeah, whatever kind of guy. No, he's the, no, don't miss. He's the king of the universe. He's, he's God who then he comes and is in a manger. It's, that's true. But let that be the tension this Christmas. Let that be the stuff you're just constantly rubbing up against as you're in you know, your Advent Bible reading plans and you're hearing some of this stuff. Let that be the stuff that's rubbing at you and you're like, Wait, how can God be this little baby? We just are like, yeah, he's coming, yep, little baby. No, like, that's amazing. That's unbelievable. And the angels, can you imagine what the angels are thinking? What are the angels thinking around some of this? They're, they're king, their main general that they follow and would do anything for goes and puts himself in a little manger for these people that they're just like, we could wipe these people out like nothing. They don't even acknowledge you, God. And are you kidding me? Let us just take them and destroy them. And God's like, no, I'm gonna go save them. That's incredible. And God's like, no, no, all you millions of angels, you just stand over there I know you're incredibly powerful, but I'm even more powerful, and I have a plan to save these people. I just, I, I think the angels just must be like, what is going on? 
I just, I think an angel must just be confused a lot of times. And they're going to obey. They're going to do what their commander says to do, but they're just like, what? Most powerful people in history have always been powerful because they had the muscle to back it up. God is the most powerful. He is the Almighty. And he's got the muscle to back it up. He doesn't even need the angels, but he's got the angels. Look at these texts. These are some references that I have for us. Take a picture of this. Let's go read these. Uh, go see if you see any little baby angel flapping its little wings on any of that. You're not going to see that. That's not what's there, guarding God or praising him. These powerful beings are bowing down and worshiping. They cover their face because they can't even to be in the presence of God. It begins to shape our understanding of the Christmas story. It shapes our thinking when Jesus, when Peter, <laughs> I just love it. I mean, just it's almost like in this context, this makes so much sense. Matthew chapter 26, when the Roman soldiers come, and they're going to capture Jesus. And Peter. You know, he pulls out his little pocket knife. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to take him down. You know, Peter pulls out his knife because he's like, I'll stop him, Jesus. And Jesus in that text, what does he say? He says, Peter, you don't think I couldn't ask for 12 legions of angels and my father wouldn't send them? Twelve legions could be up to 72,000 angels. Jesus is saying in that text, he's saying, you don't think I could call angels to my defense to protect me in this moment? Those angels would have loved, I don't, I don't know if love, I don't know if that's the right word, but they would have loved to wipe out mankind as they watch their general, their, as they see him die on a cross. And I just can't imagine what the angels were feeling if, if they feel in the same way. I don't know. But I couldn't imagine what they're experiencing as they see their Savior go to the cross. And they're like, man, you just let one of us through. We could stop this. And Jesus is saying, no. This has to happen to save them. And he goes to the cross and he dies for you and for me. All along the way, he could stop it. And he doesn't. Because he knows the only way to save you from your sin is to die for you. And that's what he does. He dies for you. He saves you. Every single one of you. And then he rises from the dead three days later. He rises from the dead to declare victory. And who is it at the tomb? Angels. Right? Angels that are there to, I would imagine those angels are still confused on what's going on, but at least they get to say what they say. You're looking for the, you're looking for the, the, the living among the dead. What are you doing? And then from there, it only accelerates. 40 days later, Jesus ascends to the Father. He ascends to the Father and now sits at the right hand. And it's in that context I don't know exactly, and I'm not claiming to exactly know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say in that context of Jesus entering into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father potentially could be the picture of Revelation chapter 5. And today that's how I want to 
actually end the message. Revelation chapter 5. There's different interpretations on this, and I get that in terms of the timing. But what if it is the, the kind of Jesus entering in to, to receive the authority that's now his because of his death and his resurrection? <clears throat> what a picture. What a picture. And this is how I'm going to end, okay? Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who can even do this? And no one in heaven, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began, John began to weep Loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures... And among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. I don't understand that fully. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. This is Jesus that had been slain each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying this, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them, us, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have come to save us. It's truly incredible. Lord, I thank you for your angels. I don't understand it all fully. I don't claim to God, but I thank you for them that you've sent out to protect us. And I do pray, Lord, for our church family that you would protect us 
with your angels in your mighty hand. God, thank you that your angels are not a bunch of pansies. Thank you that they are mighty warriors who can interact with the material in such a way as to protect us and to keep us at your command. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for them. Lord, as I think of that picture in Revelation there of them, millions of angels worshiping you, today our worship sounds so, I don't know, <laughs> feels so small. So we just want to get caught up in the worship of you, God. The lamb who's been slain for the sins of Seth Kunze, for the sins of everybody in this room, we're amazed that you'd forgive us like that, Lord. Thank you, God. May this word today be a word that kind of works on our hearts and minds this next week as we continue to look to you, Jesus. As we continue to look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.